Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast Series. I'm really, really pleased today to have with me Caroline Flanagan, who is an imposter syndrome coach for lawyers. Caroline's had a, an amazing history, actually. She, um, she actually read history at Cambridge University and ended up then attending College of Law in London. And she worked for nine years, uh, working in the city of London as an international finance lawyer, took coaching certification in 2006 and then set up her own business in 2008. And now the CEO of C. Flanagan Limited. Um, obviously, one of the, the main reasons for speaking with Caroline today is she has uh, expertise in the area of imposter syndrome, which is a subject that many of you know that I'm, I'm really fascinated with as well and uh, have my own opinions on. It's going to be really great to talk about that. She's also got her own podcast series called the Illegal Imposters Podcast, author of the book, Be the First, People of Colour, Imposter Syndrome and the Struggle to Succeed in a White World, which came out in 2022. Caroline's mission is to increase diversity and inclusion in law by supporting minority individuals to know their value, contribute more of who they are and fulfil their true potential, which I think is an absolutely fantastic mission. Mm -hmm. And also, amazingly enough, alongside all of this, Caroline has four boys who she was telling telling me are 11, 13, 17, 19. That feels very daunting to me, just even the thought of that, but... um, She's she's looking uh, very calm and relaxed with all of those pressures that she's got having a big family and running a business. So I'm an expert. That's like I'm an imposter in my own house. I'm the only girl. So like, <laughs> okay. no, they're all imposters. Yeah, they're <laughs> all imposters. Okay, now thanks hugely for spending your time, Caroline. I know people are going to find this really interesting. Now, you and I were speaking about it. the term has been around since the seventies, but really seems to have grown in prominence a lot. And um, and I think people like identify with it as a problem that they are um potentially facing and struggling with so thank you very much for sparing your time today really thank you for having me tony it's great to be here i'm looking forward to to the conversation good good yeah well first of all um as i was saying it's been around a long time um the term has what is your understanding or sort of definition of what imposter syndrome is then caroline yeah, so I would define it, I try and keep it really simple in the definition and very general. So it's really just the thoughts that I have about myself in a particular environment. And those thoughts are specific because what they do is they lead me to undervalue myself, undervalue my achievements, undermine, um, or rather underestimate my potential. So it's, just a set of thoughts about who you are. And it tends to be specific to an environment because you might think differently about yourself in another environment. Um, and it's where those thoughts have what we can generalize as sort of negative consequences or they hold you back. Yeah, I like that. Undervaluing your achievement, underestimating your potential. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I tend to the, the the sort of idea for me, I guess, is about where people feel they'll be found out as a fraud or not good enough. And um, and I was mentioning to you before that um, I, I come at things a lot from the, the fact we are much more driven by our survival instinct than we might believe. And for mm-hmm. me, it is about um, 
turning a lot of the fears that we have uh, about things in inwards and about looking for our own vulnerability, our own flaws, where we're not good enough as well. And I, I like the way you talked about specific environments, because I guess this if I call it not good enough, you you know, we're talking a lot about imposter syndrome that can come up in all sorts of ways, can't it? It can be in personal life and as a parent, as in, in, in all sorts of ways. You and I both in the Professional Speakers Association, I know a lot of people potentially sort of struggle with it from that angle as well. So, yeah, I like the way that you described that. Yeah, and that's really important because if you are someone who like is is very aware and identify as having imposter syndrome particularly in the workplace for example it's really helpful to know that when you go home or when you're sitting and you're out for dinner or for a few drinks with your mates and you feel completely at ease you're on you know you would describe yourself as being on great form that therefore it's not that imposter syndrome defines you necessarily it's just that's what comes up for you in certain environments and that can be helpful for those people who might want to feel there's something wrong with them or it's something broken it's really important to make that distinction yeah i love that and 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 i've used the term imposter moments before to get away a little bit from the sort of stigma of feeling you have a syndrome uh, because i think we all have moments um well I, i think Potentially, we all have moments where we think, mm, I don't know if I'm quite good enough for this. So, or yeah. And I like that. I mean, the fact that it can actually be in different environments where it can show off, show up in certain environments and not in others and what have you. Moves yeah. away from being this sort of all-encompassing syndrome to something that you, you're having to handle from moment to moment, situation to situation in different ways, I guess. And it can Yeah, change. I think that's helpful. I mean, I'm always curious about the word syndrome. And so for me and all the years I've been working um, in this area, the idea, the, the specifics of it being a syndrome have never really engaged me very deeply or for very long. I haven't been too caught up in the specifics of all syndrome and what does that mean if we call it a syndrome as opposed to a phenomenon, which was also one of the first expressions used yeah. uh, by Clance and Imes. 1978 is when it was first kind of coined yeah. expression. So what, like, there's the question of, okay, well, what do we call it? There's also the question of, do we even have to call it anything? Does it need a name and a label? Um, there's a lot of, uh, some of the narrative rather around imposter syndrome. Recently, you were talking about it becoming so much more ubiquitous as a term and people talking about it. But some of the narrative is like, it's a made up thing. It isn't even a thing. So that's another important question, not just what, what words do we want to use to describe it do we use syndrome do we use phenomenon what does that mean but also is it even a thing (laughs) is like this collection of feelings is it a thing in its own right that's different from everyday self-doubt for example or just feeling nervous um but also if we do then get to a a place where we can talk about this if you want to where we decide it's useful to give that collection of thoughts and feelings a name like how important is it like the specifics of what that name is like whether it's syndrome or or something else or moments for example as you suggest yeah i like that and i think um sometimes and that's where the way i look at it a little bit it's uh if it's helpful for people and simplifies a bit to say this is a concept and i relate to this because i think i have some problems with it then who yeah. am i to get too preoccupied with whether it should be a syndrome or whatever really i guess it's i think we all know 
there's a lot of people who say that they have an issue with this mm. and i know that's why you 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 focus very much in, in terms of your specialization in helping people who believe they have a problem with it mm. um and so if they believe they have a problem with it then for for them for in their world it's real isn't it so yeah it is real and um, i mean it's the the reference to of course my main business this is what i do i coach as you as you know i'm an imposter syndrome coach and and we can get into the specifics, I think, when we talk about, well, what is imposter syndrome and how do I have it? It actually goes so beyond then those initial thoughts or feeling like a fraud when we get into how um, it's most frequently identified. But there are so many behaviours that, like the ways in which imposter syndrome manifests, which mean somebody might not necessarily be walking around going, I've got imposter syndrome, but the way they behave and the emotions and the fears that drive their behavior, how they're showing up at work, actually indicate that it's effectively imposter syndrome in terms of like the collection of thoughts in a particular environment that create this undervaluing of your achievements and underestimating of your potential. So it can be the the symptoms of imposter syndrome is just as important, if not possibly more important to talk about those so that we're engaging people at a very human level. What are you going through every day? What's going on in your career? What's going on in your life that you can see you're not fulfilling your potential the way you want to. You can, you recognize that you are, you're, you're suffering emotionally, for example, in a certain environment. So it's really important that piece, I think around engaging people on exactly what's going on for you at o'clock on a Tuesday morning when you have this terrible feeling and you are too scared to speak up in a meeting for example yeah yeah absolutely great brilliant I'm going to come to that question so I'm I'm glad you've touched on that what what is it that's driven you to focus on this so much then what why do you feel so passionately about it yeah so I think it's fascinating I've made this connection Tony (laughs) so my first experience of imposter syndrome I didn't know it was called imposter syndrome at the time but I'm looking back, I understand I can pinpoint the exact moment when I first felt it. And that was at the age of six. And I was, it was like one of the first days of starting this new school. I was the only black pupil in an all white school. So the moment that that was apparent to me, sitting in an assembly hall, looking around all the new faces and realizing it was just me. So that was a very, crude very sort of visceral experience of being there and that awareness of difference we can talk about difference come back to that in a moment so that like fast forwarding to the point in my 30s by the way Tony when I first understood that imposter syndrome was a thing that there was a name for how I'd been feeling throughout my whole my whole education my whole career like it took me back to that first day of realizing I'm in an environment, I'm completely different from everybody else. And that, of course, then produced the thoughts of myself in that environment that led me to underestimate my potential and undervalue my achievements. So really aware that that happened at a very young age. Interestingly, and I do risk like exposing how old I am at this stage, everyone's going to get their calculator out. Um, (laughs) That was 1978, the first time my experience of posse syndrome that was the exact year when Clance and I first coined the expression imposter syndrome I think that's fascinating coincidence (laughs) most likely but 
for me, like that's so significant in terms of how I have embraced imposter syndrome, how I've embodied it in my life and my career, how I've basically come to my message around it and my teaching around it, which is that it can be, there's a way to make it your strength. So it just feels like such a wonderful, such a true, such a powerful part of who I am that my first experience of it was the same year when the term was first coined and that that experience has followed me throughout my career up until now and continues to do so. So I feel like I embody it. That's yeah. <laughs> it's a sense of destiny there, isn't there? Uh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be just to finish turning. I wouldn't be so passionate about it and dedicating my work um, to it and to helping people solve it. If it weren't for the fact that I've experienced the transformation myself from seeing it as this thing that's a weakness and a, a something wrong with me to understanding it's actually one of the most powerful things about me and something I'm fiercely proud of. So that transformation and that, I mean, some people call it a reframe, whatever you want to call it, is not something you hear every day. It's not what everybody's teaching you about imposter syndrome or sharing with you. And for that reason, I'm very passionate about offering that as an option, right? As an alternative to the feeling that this thing is awful. I need to get rid of it. Yeah, great. Great. And I think, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that more in a moment, actually, because I think there is that thing about being out of your comfort zone with the imposter syndrome as well. And actually being out of your comfort zone is not necessarily a bad thing and what have you. So I'm going to be really interested to hear your, your thoughts on that. Um, do you believe, though, that being labelled with a syndrome is helpful or is it detrimental or is it or, or is it or is there not clarity? There's not, you know, it's not a black and white view. Hmm. So I would say I don't believe that any labels are helpful, actually, when it comes to labelling somebody else. I don't think that's anybody's right or business to label another person. Um, and I would say that generally, like raising my boys, you know what it's like in a household. It's like, you're that, you know, you're lazy or he never does this. And I've always been really strong with my boys about we, we don't use labels. So I'm not, I would be fiercely against labelling another person. Um However, I do think as a individually, it is for you to decide whether you think you may have imposter syndrome, whether the symptoms resonate with you, whether you want to pursue a solution to it. So I think that's the real usefulness of having a name for, for something that you might want to resolve. It's like, oh, well, is this, is this speaking to me? Do I identify with that? And therefore, Right now, I know where to look for a solution. There, I I hear a lot, Tony. So I'll do. I do a lot of keynotes within law firms, and in that scenario, so I'm doing one on Thursday, in fact, around International Women's Day, and I will often be um, brought in by the head of the DEI, for example, and, and they'll say to me, "Oh, we're hearing imposter syndrome coming up all the time. We want you to talk about it." But people are scared. There's a narrative around it. They they feel that we are labelling them. And I always say it's not for somebody else to give you that label. No one can tell you you have imposter syndrome. It's totally for you to decide and choose it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. And I think what you were talk- talking about earlier as well about symptoms and that kind of thing. I guess if we call it a concept with a set of 
potential symptoms and then people recognize a lot of those symptoms and so feel that they identify it with as a concept that is challenging for them then then as you say i think that's for people to decide for themselves individually isn't it really but yeah okay no i like that that's a good i've really uh, enjoyed the way you explain that um okay let, let's go on to symptoms then what what do you think people can be looking for to say they may have some of the symptoms and and also you know how do you feel it manifests then i mean yeah um so i talk about we we all experience those those of us who identify as having imposter syndrome our experience is all very individual right and personal so sometimes there will be some people who experience imposter syndrome are very clear like the thoughts that are going through their brain so a voice in your head and that was it for me right so I always had that voice like I think I'm a you know you're a fraud you're going to be found out your success is down to luck and that what I described those three um thoughts as the classic signs sorry that was fraud I think you know I feel like I think I'm a fraud my success is down to luck yeah. I'm going to be found out. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I say fraud, luck. <clears throat> yeah. Those are the three, I call them the three classic signs because if you look at the research and, um, the psychologist, Dr. Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes in 1978, when they first coined this expression, those are the, the that's what they identified. Those are the symptoms that they saw as common within yeah. this achieving group. They talked so, a lot about luck actually as well, didn't they? Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Exactly. So those, I call those the classic signs. And what, see, what tends to happen is people hear that and they think, well, I don't think I'm a fraud. I work really hard to get here. Right. Um, so they think, oh, well, like, therefore I can't have imposter syndrome because I don't think my success is down to luck. Um, so that's when I say, okay, so maybe you're, um, you don't have those thoughts, but how do you feel? Like, how do you have moments when you feel that you're not enough? So then we move on to people who experience impulses syndrome as a feeling. And I'll, I'll say to people, don't get too caught up in the specifics of those expressions. Do I think my success is down to luck? Because you might, like academically, intellectually, on paper, and especially Tony, if I think about the, the clients I work with, they're all lawyers. They're all very successful on paper. There is nothing on paper that makes it look like they have been lucky. They have a whole list of achievements to their name. So it's not the the actual reality of your success being down to luck. It's you having the thought that your success is down to luck. And those are two separate things. Yeah. Um, So there's the whole list of thoughts. And if those aren't happening for you, it could be just that when you're sitting in a meeting, you just have this horrible sense of not being enough not enoughness i'm not enough in this i don't know enough i'm not experienced enough i'm not educated enough i'm not white enough i'm not uh black enough i'm not male enough whatever it is um the feeling of not enoughness and i always know when that's happening for me i don't necessarily know what the not enoughness is but i know the feeling in my body right so I know when my nervous system is starting to like <laughs> freak out, I can feel the anxiety in the pit of my stomach, waves of panic. So being aware of how you are physically experiencing an emotion in the moment can also be an indicator. Yeah. 
Um, and then I get to, okay, well, if it's not the thoughts and if it's not a particular feeling that you have, then, okay, let's look at how you're acting. Let's look at actually, what are you, like, how are you showing up at work? What are you actually doing? What's your behavior? And so I, um, I call them the four horsemen, Tony, but there are four different types of behaviors that I see in people with imposter syndrome or indicators that you might have imposter syndrome. It's not an exact science, but what I do say is the more of these behaviors that you uh, almost can tick or relate to, the more likely it is. Yeah. So the four different types of behaviors and then within those types, there are so many examples, but they are overworking, overthinking, playing small and self-sabotage. And very briefly, you know, you're overworking. It's this perfectionism that's driven by a fear of like being found out. So it's perfect. It's got to be perfect. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to be good. I'm not going to be good enough. They're going to be found out. So that kind of perfectionism is an example of overworking. And then overthinking, that's spinning and spinning in like questioning yourself, second guessing yourself, spinning round and round. Playing small is all the stuff you do to sort of hide from the spotlight, like avoiding opportunities that are clearly you're qualified for or yeah. hide. A lot of my, my lawyers tell me they hide behind the number of hours they do. So instead of being out there, um, like networking with potential clients or building a business, they'll like, Oh, I'll just work longer hours. Right. And let, hopefully they'll speak for, they'll, they'll speak for themselves. And then the undermine, the fourth one, the, the self-sabotage is when you're undermining your own progress. So you're the one that criticizes how you say things, how you do things. You know, when you finally find the courage to speak up, for example, you then spend 48 hours a week beating yourself up for not having done it well enough. So those are the four behaviors that I always say, you know, look out for those behaviors. Are you doing any of those things in your day-to-day job? Because that could be a sign that you have imposter syndrome. Yeah, and I guess with with my work as a coach, leadership psychologist over the years, I find that that shows up for the majority of people. Possibly, possibly not all four of them all the time, but there there are a lot of those. I mean, um, I often say to people and to to clients I work with, the worst language I hear people using, or most negative, destructive language, is often about themselves. That self sabotage piece mm-hmm. that you spoke about. People can be incredibly harsh uh, on themselves in terms of the language they use, and I guess that that plain small you mentioned as well was, um, I guess, would keep people in comfort. You and I were talking about comfort zones earlier, weren't we, before this, the session? And I think. I guess playing small keeps people in comfort zones, doesn't yeah. it? As you said, it, it stops people from going out doing the networking to grow the business because that's uncomfortable. They'll stay in their comfort zone. And, yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you would tend to be looking for people to be ticking all four of those more so to be saying they've got a problem or. Necessarily. I mean, we're always looking at, you know, to come back to the fact that it's for you to decide, right? You to self diagnose for want of a better expression what i do is i just offer people the behaviors the examples of behaviors that indicate and it's really for you to go right okay do you know what i think this is an issue for me right i'm going to go and try and find a solution in this in this way and that's look that's the key here we're not it's not really about and i (laughs) 
I've noticed recently, this has been my observation, Tony, we spend an awful lot of time in the problem of it, right? Talking, and I do this too. I've been really, because I've been really passionate and about unpicking it, like understanding it at such a deep level. I do spend a lot of time, I talk about those different symptoms and characteristics and all the conversations around imposter syndrome. They talk a lot about the, the thick of it, the problem of it, how do I overcome it, the weight of it. And actually, the only reason why any of this is useful or interesting is if it offers a path to a solution, right? I honestly think if you experience some form, like if we put imposter syndrome on a spectrum of, we can call it the self-doubt or the questioning um spectrum you'll have like nerves you might have a bit of anxiety you'll have doubt self-doubt you'll have imposter syndrome and they're all really on the same spectrum how I see them right and as you were saying I think we all actually move along that spectrum in different circumstances and different environments the reason why it's helpful to know it's imposter syndrome and to kind of go through and think about those symptoms that we've talked about is because You've tried other things, for example, and it hasn't worked. So it's because you're stuck. I always say to people, honestly, if you have um, a feeling self-doubt and somebody advises you to fake it till you make it or call your mum and she tells you all the great things about you, <laughs> that works, then fantastic. You've got a solution. You don't need to worry about imposter syndrome. However, and this is a key differentiator for me with imposter syndrome, uh, as as opposed to self-doubt. With self-doubt, like the more you achieve in a particular area, the, your confidence will start to grow, yeah? So if you doubt yourself in a particular environment or doing a particular task, and I say it's just in inverted commas because some people experience self-doubt and it's not, it's not a just, it's a big deal. But if you find that self-doubt goes away with experience, with practice, then fantastic, that self-doubt. But if you are someone like so many of my clients who you achieve, you and you have this, like, you achieve something and you perhaps for like 30 seconds, this is literally what a client of mine said the other week, I feel like, I, like I'm enough for about 30 seconds and then I'm straight back to needing to do more, to achieve more. Only now I feel like I have to, now the feeling is worse because this time I really am going to be found out, right? It really is down to luck and it's my luck's running out. So that's a helpful indicator for people as well is if you feel better, like the, the more you achieve, the better you feel about yourself, then fantastic, keep doing what you're doing. But if the more you achieve, the worse you feel about yourself or the more vulnerable you feel, the more at risk of exposure, the more you feel your success is down to luck. So it's getting worse with achievement. Then come and talk to me. Like That's imposter syndrome. And that can be a really helpful differentiator for people. But we've got to remember it's only ever about finding, like using these this language and um, talking about the symptoms as a means to the end of being able to fulfill more of our potential, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, when you, you talk about not not being enough, that's something I relate to a lot in, in what I speak about is that fundamental challenge, and, and we have it to varying degrees, and as you say, probably I like the way you talked about things being on a spectrum or a dimension or what have you, because I think 
we in my opinion we all experience moments where we don't feel good enough in work life uh personal life whatever we have those moments where we feel that i guess it's when it becomes a more persistent pervading thing that you're struggling to to handle which is when you need to do something about it whatever you call this really but yeah i just wanted to ask you about um this part of your journey when you spoke about seeing it as a as a strength Mm. um making it your strength then so would you mind sharing a little bit around that then yeah of course so I'll share um a little bit about how I how I made that like had that transformation for myself it was it was exactly what we were just talking about Tony in terms of reaching a point where I tried so many things like that the experience of feeling so um like like the what felt like the danger of being found out, the risk of being being found out, and that being a very real experience. I actually found myself having. I was telling a friend the other day. <laughs> I was in Mexico of all places in January. It was wonderful. It was on a big work conference. Um, a lot of very high achievers in the room, and I had, I'd say, the most extreme imposter syndrome like experience and and moments that I had in a really long time. And it was like, I'm like, yes, this is where some of my clients are. And I've been here lots of times before, but this felt really acute. Um, and I remember thinking how like it's being taken back to how that used to be like my experience all the time. And I would try different solutions and I wouldn't, and they wouldn't work. Or if they did work, they'd work only temporary. So I mentioned fake it till you make it, which is great because it will get you past, like, you know, it'll get you to take some action, but you often end up like back where you like originally started. And actually what you're often doing is just building confidence in someone you're not, you know, in the faking. So I, you know, I tried that. I tried the power posing. I tried the tell yourself you're good enough. But, you know, a lot of the, the advice that you still will read in uh, a LinkedIn post or an HBR article, for example. And the issue for me was I kept finding myself back, back to square one, back to feeling those same feelings. And at a certain point, when you are a persistent achiever, as a lot of imposter syndrome sufferers are, and that's what I was describing about the need to keep, like, to drive to keep achieving, it gets really tiring. Like it just gets exhausting. And I reached a point where I just thought, this is just not, this, I can't do this anymore. Like either I just hang my hat up and I just drop out completely and never put myself in the race again, never see what, like try to see what my potential is, never go for anything again. Or I've got to figure this out because the pain of that's not enoughness and the experience of that, the very visceral experience and what felt genuinely life-threatening. Like it does feel in your body like you're about to die sometimes <laughs> when you are in the pressure of a moment like that. I just couldn't stand it anymore. So I tried the one thing that I had not tried up until that point. I tried all of the things. I tried to overcome it, get rid of it, all of that. And the one thing I had never considered was like, what if I just decided to accept it? To accept, like, what would it look like if instead of fighting it, because that's what it felt like, a constant battle, what would it look like if I just went, yeah, 
I have thoughts about myself. You know, my brain tells me I'm a fraud and that my success is down to luck. And then I went to, well, what if it's true? What if my success is down to luck? What if I might be found out? What would be found out about me? So I like followed the, instead of just resisting and rejecting and like trying to push aside these thoughts that my brain was offering me or every time I wanted to achieve something or put myself in a bigger room, I thought I'm going to go with it. Where will this take me? And that journey took me to a place where I realized and I understood, of course, I have imposter syndrome. For a start, and this is just for starters, I was the only black pupil in an all white school, right? I also, it wasn't even just my ethnicity that symbolized my difference. I was from a very different socioeconomic background to the other pupils around me. I was at a boarding school and I came from a very, very low class family in terms of like economically, socially. We were in like the completely different, a completely different place to all of the other kids I was at school with. And that that's just an example. But in environment after an environment, I was different. Okay. I'm not saying I was less than, but there was difference there. And I could identify what that difference was. Um, and that continued. And in this understanding or being open to the idea that, well, actually, I have imposter syndrome because I was kind of an imposter. Like if we took away all of the negative assumption around the word imposter and we just allowed it to mean you're someone who never felt entitled to be there. You maybe started from a different place. You had a different journey to get where you are. You've had different experiences along the way. You are different to the crowd. Like if we just allowed like the idea of being an imposter to mean that without attaching a lot of negative meaning around it, then suddenly it becomes quite interesting. Suddenly it's an invitation to like get to know yourself better. Like, like what is it that went on in my life that how did I end up here? Like what decision, what was driving that? What did I have to go through? How is that different to everyone else in the room? And Tony, where that took me, was to a place where suddenly I started to recognize imposter syndrome for what it said about me. Like how amazing that revealed, what that revealed me to be. Does that make sense? So instead of thinking, Oh, you know, I might be found down. I don't belong in this room or I'm not enough. I was thinking, wow, like I'm unique. I'm extraordinary. Like my past, not like anyone else's. No one has seen the world through my eyes or the way I have or has had to in like being in my specific circumstances. No one has been in my shoes and, and made it to this point in those shoes, right? Taking that journey. So what started off as being, this weakness, this thing that's wrong and it's a problem and I need to get rid of it became the way I identified with being uniquely valuable, like the ways I was capable, what it revealed about how resilient I am, how committed and determined I am, how resourceful I am. So can you hear, you can probably hear then like how suddenly it was going from being this weakness to feeling like something that was a strength right? Something positive. And then the next thing just became 
Um, and this has happened. Obviously, this is both my own experience that I went through, but also in working with my clients, Tony, in really seeing and understanding the difference between showing up to your work when you're in the place of imposter syndrome is a weakness. It's awful. I need to get rid of it in basically a fear state. Right. And when we're in that state of fear and not being enough and needing to prove ourselves, needing to be a perfectionist, actually, we have like access to hardly any of our resources. Like we, most of our body shuts down, as you all know, like when we're in that fear state, we don't have access to like half of who we are. So recognizing that there's the only difference that has to happen. We don't have to change anything about ourselves. We don't have to change anything even about imposter syndrome. All we need to do is be able to notice when we're in that fear state and that's how we're showing up and be able to get ourselves to be in a state where we are, I call it embodying who you are, embodying your imposter syndrome, all those amazing things that imposter syndrome says about you because what it reveals about who you are. So those, what I've talked to you through is like my process, like my solution when I work with my clients is I help you understand it. I help you recognize what it says about you, right? And then I help you embody it. In other words, live that version of yourself, like take action, make decisions, solve problems, seize opportunities from the place of the person that you are, which you've, you understand now because you've done that work to really understand your imposter syndrome. I really like that. Yeah. And I th- it, we were chatting before we started the podcast episode that we might then I said we might come come at things from a slightly different angle, which is always yeah. good, isn't it? That's yeah. part of the uniqueness that you were talking about. Um, but I, but I like this accepting thing because for me, um, the term you've used a lot actually about not being good enough is for me is the underlying challenge that we all face, and it's normal. And and that's the thing for me it is about accepting something like this more because it's normal. That it's normal to feel uh, and and you. You, you described it really eloquently about the difference as well, accepting differences, knowing your journey has been different and knowing your challenges have been different and all of that kind of thing. But I think it's knowing that some of this is normal, you know, the, the, the fear, the fear based state we can get into and what have you is normal because if you start beating yourself up for it, then um, I think that's not accepting the fact this is normal. And uh, I love the way you talked about that just taking a moment getting out of fear state getting out of anxiety getting out of all of that and and thinking well the reason that i potentially feel i guess we might want to call it vulnerable is because i'm different and and my journey's been different and um and that's all that's all fine and maybe there has been some luck on my journey and maybe i might be exposed and what have you but it's all fine it's all part and parcel of my journey and whatever and I, i really liked the way that you you spoke through that yeah, thank you. And I think even like the next stage, Tony, for me is like, there's the acceptance bit and particularly then the nothing's gone wrong. Like you're saying, like it's normal. So there's the acceptance bit, but then the next level, and this is where I think it gets even more exciting, especially if we're talking about, you know, you, you're the leadership psychologist. So you work, I know, with a lot of leaders. It's like actually to come back to the diverse opinions, even on this podcast, right? But we, the value of having diverse people in the room, people oh, yeah. with experiences, people who are unique, who've had extraordinary journeys, right? 
the value of that is so enormous. And I, or I will always say like, don't take, don't you dare take my imposter syndrome away from me because I associate it with my value. It reminds me of what I have to contribute in a room that is different to everybody else. And from a, an individual perspective in terms of recognizing the contribution, the value you can add in an environment, but also to, uh, I think on a, wider scale like a company or a firm wide scale um in the case of my law firms it's like what if like that you could be the key to you being the most diverse environment or having the most diverse culture was your celebrating of your honoring of the imposter syndrome right that is there because imagine a world Taking my view of imposter syndrome as being the key to your, like who you are and your value. Imagine a world where we took away any imposter syndrome. We took away everybody's different journeys, different starting points, and it was all the same. Like, what would that world be? How poor that world would be, that environment, that meeting, that culture, if we all had the same path and we all had the same experiences? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that valuing the diversity across people is a really important message for companies as well, isn't it? And uh, and as you say, actually, it's all part of that acceptance that we're all different, isn't it? But there was there were things for us individuals to recognise and gain from that acceptance. But there's there's things that we can gain collectively from mm. that acceptance that people are different. Their journeys are different. Um, what we do we do share some things we share um that that from my perspective we share share certain things around the fact we can all be driven by fear we can all mm. feel the need to survive we can all feel flawed we can all feel not good enough but then within that our experiences of all of that are different and our journey's different and i really yeah, yeah i really like that and and i think the acceptance bit is is the, the for me the key in terms of taking it to the next level is the celebration of it. So, I mean, I, I, I could do a whole like, podcast on acceptance because it's often misconstrued. Um, it's often seen as like some sort of a weakness or do you know what I mean? Like as a conceding ground. And actually it's very empowering because it just neutralizes everything. And when you've like then neutralized the negative, it gives you that opportunity to see what you can celebrate. And I think that's, at a firm-wide level, a company-wide level, you want to not just be accepting that there are people who have imposter syndrome in your organisation. You want to be celebrating them and the reasons why. So that I really love and why, to come to your early question about why I'm so passionate about it, is like I just see the world as like, there are all these people having imposter syndrome thinking it's a bad thing. Oh, my gosh, don't they know how amazing it is? Don't they know what that says about them? Have they any idea what that could reveal? Like, if you were willing to just allow it to be there and we take away all of the negative assumptions we've made about it, when really, to come to your point, Tony, which you've repeated and I love, it is about survival. Like, we are humans and any sense like previously being different of course meant like we were at risk like that was a survival issue right many many like in terms of our evolution yeah absolutely okay so that of course we're going to feel like under threat if you like when we're aware of being different from the group like yeah yeah 
that's why it's all normal. That's why nothing's gone wrong. Um, and I, I kind of feel like that, right, our next evolutionary stage now is the celebration of difference. We started off with like difference is no good. You're going to die because they'll leave you behind and you won't get fed and you'll get eaten by a predator. And then we like get to acceptance. Well, okay, we can coexist in a world where um, it's okay. Maybe it's not a problem. And then where we want to get to, where we're heading to and em- embracing diversity, I think we're heading to is uh, while we're celebrating difference at the highest level. Hey, love that. What a great message to finish on. <laughs> the, <laughs> next, the next stage of evolution. I really love that. I know. I know. I'm such a, um, as you can see, I'm not a small thinker. <laughs> no, no, but it's brilliant. I really like that a lot because I think one of the eight aspects I talk about in survival thinking is the danger of tribal behavior and us, us, us and them and silos. Whereas you're talking about almost embracing diversity to actually unify us and make us more of a, more of a collective right across, you know, um, you know, the human species really. And I think we are on, I think it's a, it's a bumpy journey, but I, I think you're right. I think we're on that journey where, um, difference becomes, less of it should become less of an issue really uh so yeah fantastic okay well so before we finish i wanted to signpost people uh to where they can find out more about you so if you just wanted to say best way to find you linkedin websites whatever it is so that people can connect with you and find out more Thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, so it's carolineflanagan.com. Um, so that's my website where you'll find all, all my imposter known stuff. I really recommend that you download. I've got a free, uh, download called the secret signs of imposter syndrome. So for those of you who are listening who are unsure and want to like get a better grasp of those four behaviors, that's one to download. So that will just pop up. Um, you either sign up to my newsletter, it'll pop up when you visit the website. But then, but talk to me. Like I'm on LinkedIn as Caroline Flanagan. Um, I'm wearing a red dress and I have a big smile and brown skin. So I'm very easy to find. <laughs> um, and then it's the same. I'm on Instagram as well and Facebook. So come and connect with me. I'd love to continue the conversation. Hey, yeah, fantastic. Hey, well, listen, thank you ever so much. It's been uh, brilliant. And we'll we'll have another podcast episode in the future on the whole subject of acceptance. <laughs> as you, as you yeah. into that. All right, Caroline, thanks ever so much. Great speaking to you, Tony. Thanks a lot. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic? thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.